Well, how's everybody doing tonight? Let's try that again. How's everybody doing tonight? Are you glad to be in church? Are you alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic? You might be alive and awake. I'm not sure if you're enthusiastic or not. Why don't you turn to the Gospel of Mark, if you could, the Gospel of Mark. And um, let's see here. I'm going to try to get your help tonight. I hope that you've got a blank piece of paper that you can use, and I'd love for you to get engaged a little bit tonight with the sermon. And I'm going to draw something on the board, and I hope you'll draw it, and I hope you'll never lose it. I hope you'll put something on the board tonight, and ne- or on a piece of paper tonight, and never, ever lose it. And I hope you paid attention last night. Amen. The challenge last night from the life of Philip is for you to just be faithful to do whatever God gives you to do, but look for opportunities and don't wait until it's in the bulletin or announced from the pulpit. Christianity is a 24-7 responsibility. Yes, I was thinking, as I, last night when I got home, I always, I'm sure every pastor does this, and what I wish they had said, and what I wish they hadn't said. Those are the real painful ones. But uh, you know what people used to do uh, years and years ago on Sunday afternoon? Take a Sunday afternoon drive. That's correct. They would just drive around the community. And so uh, I think it was my 25th anniversary cornerstone. Um, Ron and I have been married 45 years. And I think it was our 25th anniversary cornerstone that the church bought me a Kawasaki mule. Man, that's a nice little deal. And uh, that's not a four-legged mule. That's a four-wheeled mule, okay? And uh, Ron and I ran and just getting that thing started driving all over the community. You wouldn't believe the times that we've seen somebody out in the yard. Or one time, it was about two or three years ago, we was out, and uh, remember that, that older couple out on the porch? We just wheeled in there, and we went up on the porch, and uh, I don't know, I guess we sat there 20, 30 minutes, and you would have thought that the president had visited them because it just made their day. I'm telling you, if you'll make an effort, there are people out there that need to be ministered to. And you don't listen, don't be that hyper-aggressive soul winner that's bound and determined to cram a track down their throat and tell them they need to get lost and they're going to hell. Just learn how to be sociable again. Are y'all okay with that? I'm telling you that the missionaries are right when they used to go around the country saying the world doesn't care what you know until they know that you care. And there's a lot of truth in that. Yes, there is. And I'm telling you, as I preached last night, you need to make this a lifestyle. We have men and women in our church. We have a lady in our church. She'll take her kids once a week and just go to the nursing home and go room to room. And her kids will play the guitar or play uh, some little instrument or something. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Those, those people in the nursing home, they don't know good or bad. And it just makes them happy as a lark that somebody came into the room and got down in their face and smiled at them. There are so many ways you can minister, and that's what you're called to do 24-7. So you just need to get busy doing it. Make it a lifestyle, not not just a Sunday activity, not just a church activity. Make it part of your life, okay? So let's take our Bible, turn to the Gospel of Mark. You might want to find Luke chapter 9, also Luke chapter 9. I'll ask you to stand. If you're able, we'll honor the reading of the Word of God. Do I have to rush through this? Can I take my time? Take your time. I mean, this is missions conference, right? Amen. This is a big deal. Now, some of you are going to think this is not a missions conference message, and I'll just go ahead and tell you this. I try to preach what the Lord tells me to preach. Amen. I pray and pray and pray. Last night was clearly a missions conference message. 
Now, I was going to preach tonight a message that is clearly missions called God's Global Vision. That's what I wanted to preach tonight. But I'm begging God throughout the day to make it clear why you can get some help from. I heard your pastor pray at the beginning of the service. He said some of you might need rebuking. Some of you might need encouraging. Some of you might need challenging. Right? Isn't that what he prayed? You know the Lord knows what you need. He may know better than you what you need. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to try tonight just to be faithful, and I hope you'll let God speak to your heart. The Bible says in Mark chapter 5, verse 37, Mark chapter 5, verse 37, this is the raising of Jairus' daughter, and the Bible says in verse 37, and he, that's Jesus, suffered, that's allowed, he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. He said, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to raise up this girl. Ain't nobody going in there except Peter, James, and John. Isn't that interesting? Look at chapter 9, Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. This is what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Peter... James and John, chapter 14, verse 33. So he goes to raise up Jairus' daughter from the dead. He takes Peter, James, and John. He goes on the Mount of Transfiguration. He takes Peter, James, and John. And here in chapter 14, verse 33, is that famous agonizing prayer in Gethsemane. And the Bible says in verse 33, And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done, and he took them. I've got this underlined in my Bible, and went aside privately. How would you like for Jesus to want some private time with you? Just take you aside privately. Isn't that what it says? He took them aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Beth said. So here he takes the twelve, but in verse 28, you've got a repeat of what we already read in Mark about the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says in verse 28, and it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, I sure would like to be a help and a blessing to this church tonight. I'd love I'd be thrilled, God, if you'd take this unworthy vessel. I know my unworthiness, Lord. I know that without you, without the Holy Spirit, God, if you don't work, then it's all in vain. I understand that. I accept it. I acknowledge it. But Lord, I yield myself to thee. And I pray and beg in the name of the Lord Jesus and through his blood that you'll take this weak, base, despised thing of naught, this frail creature of dust, allow the Holy Ghost to do through me here tonight what I cannot do. God, I pray that you would speak from heaven, help your people, be glorified, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being seated. So, years and years ago, and uh, I think it was uh, probably around 1980-something, uh, I was reading one of Clarence Larkin's books. And if you've not read Larkin, I highly recommend you read Larkin's books. He's yeah. probably one of the most insightful men you'll ever read. And I was reading one of his books, and in the back of that book were these circles. And I saw these circles, and I thought, well, that's pretty neat. And in that book by Clarence Larkin, who I thought was the originator, he gave credit to a man named Robert Spears. Robert Spears 
use those circles before Larkin. Well, then, about 10, maybe 15 years later, I was in a meeting preaching with a man, and he put five circles on the board and preached about these circles. And so that was the third time I had seen it, but this third time when this preacher did this, I thought, i got to know how that works. I don't want to just have a sermon. I don't want to just have an outline. I want to know how this works. And I went home and I began to pray seriously and fervently. And I wanted the Lord to show me something. So you'll understand what I'm talking about if you'll, if you'll follow along tonight. So if you can, I would love for you to put five circles on a piece of paper. Now, if you can't see this, I'm going to say everything that I put up here. And hopefully these uh, markers will cooperate for us. So I want you to put five circles like this right here. One after another. And make sure your circles are as perfect as mine. Aren't those perfect? My goodness, that's pitiful. That's all right. We're going to make it work anyway. All right, so you can do five circles. I'm going to blame this marker, okay? This is the marker's fault. It's not my fault. So you got five circles. Y'all can put that on a piece of paper. That'll help you. And uh, we're going to talk about something here in just a little while. I call this sermon Running in Circles. Running in Circles. So I want you to have five circles there. We'll talk about these circles in just a moment. Uh, they, Peter, James, and John are often called the inner circle. Right? They're the, they're, the, they're the inner circle. They're the three closest, it seems, to the Lord. And so Peter, James, and John are in this inner circle. And what happened to me is when I got... When I heard that message, first Clarence Larkin, I read it from Robert Spears, and then this preacher, and I, I went home and I said, Lord, I want to know how Peter, James, and John got in the inner circle. I don't want to just know that they were in the circle. I want to know why they were in the circle. I mean, what, if some, I don't know how you feel about this. Some people are offended when I say things like this, but for, let me give you a couple of illustrations. 1972, 1973, I moved from, I moved from uh, Arab, Alabama with my family. I was 12 years old in McMinnville, Tennessee. When I was in Arab, the school that I went to was grades kindergarten through 12th grade, and in kindergarten through 12th grade, there were a total of 170-something students. Little old mini place, Okay. Then we moved to McMinnville, Tennessee, and I grew up with Ball as a god. Ball was my god up until about the 19, somewhere around the early 80s, middle 80s, and it's all I lived for, and then I grew up. You're welcome. And so what happened was, we moved to McMinnville. I'm 12 years old. I tried out for the basketball team, and there were 72 boys trying out for the basketball team. That's a lot of people for this. The only, by the way... Grades kindergarten through 12th in Alabama, 177 students. I went to the 7th grade school in uh, McMinnville, Tennessee called Southside. The only grade in that school was 7th grade. There's 300-something students. That's called culture shock. Really. And I tried out for the basketball team. And you go into the dressing room, and there's those 72 names that are trying out. And after a week, he's going to cut half of them, and they're, they're not going to make the team. And so a week later, I go in there, and I'm still on the list. There's only 36 left. A week later, he's going to cut it down to 18. And so we went in there a week later, and I'm still on the 18. <laughs> I'm getting excited, okay? And then he's going to cut it down to 12 players. Might have been 15. I can't remember. And so we worked hard. That last week, we're all anxious to go in there the next Monday morning to see who made the team. And he's got 12 players listed of the players that made the team. I'm one of the 12. Wow. Woo! I was excited. Amen. But then I wasn't satisfied. Now I want to make the starting five. See, I don't like bench warmers. I want to be involved. I want to be a participant. 
Christian Christianity in America has become a, a nation of spectators. Oh yeah. Honestly. Everybody just comes, gets the sermon, checks the box, I've been to church this day, and they go home. That's the end of it. I never did like that. I, I, listen, if I was on a team and there was a great team and I was sitting on the bench, or I could be on a bad team and play, I'll take the bad team. I want to play. I want to be engaged. I want to be involved. Well, I made the starting five. I was pretty excited. Well, about two or three years later, I broke my leg, and I started shifting a little bit towards baseball because I couldn't play as good at basketball as I used to. And now I'm trying on the baseball team. And I make the baseball team one county senior high school. And when I'm a senior, uh, the coach, Leo Davis, I'll never forget it. Leo Davis said, uh, Ron, come here. I'm going to talk to you a minute. And he put his arm around me. Leo Davis was a semi-pro baseball player in his young days. Put his arm around me and said, I need to talk to you, Ron. He said, uh, Let's go out here to left field by ourselves. We walked up there by ourselves. And everybody loved Coach Davis. He was just a unique character. Everybody thought he hung the moon. He played semi-pro baseball. And he said, Ron, I want to ask a big favor of you. I want you to be the captain of this team this year. He said, I want you to be the leader. Remember that word leader? Now, can you imagine how that made that 17-year-old boy feel? Man, I felt special. Because Leo Davis took me aside privately. What about Jesus taking somebody aside? Amen. Good point. Good point. How about the Lord Jesus Christ and Peter, James, John? Guys, y'all hang in. We'll be back in a little while. <laughs> and take them aside privately? Who wouldn't want that? I don't understand why anybody that claims to be a Christian wouldn't want that kind of closeness to the Lord. And so I'm going to say something here. It might bug some of you. I hope it doesn't. I don't understand. I don't mind being the teacher's pet when I'm in school. See, I didn't mind that. If I was their favorite, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'd be glad to be your favorite. <laughs> Amen. That doesn't bother me in the least. Listen, I want to make something abundantly clear tonight. God has his favorites. Uh-oh. That's true. God has his favorites. Amen. And some people say, well, the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. That's when it comes to salvation. Yes, amen. When it comes to salvation, God is no respecter of persons. He'll save young, old, black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, southerner, northerner, yes. Filipino. Amen. He'll save anybody and everybody. God is no respecter of persons. Amen. Everybody like that. Aren't you glad he's not a respecter? You couldn't get in. Amen. That's when it comes to salvation. But when it comes to service, God is a respecter of persons. He doesn't call women to pastor churches. Amen. He doesn't call men to go in women's bathrooms. Amen. God believes you're different. God says you're different. And God wants women to do certain things and men to do certain things. He wants adults to do some, certain things and kids to... There's not a verse that says, Parents, obey your children. <laughs> Am I right? God is a respecter of persons. As a matter of fact, Israel is His favorite nation. That's correct. Is it not obvious that God's a respecter of persons? When He decides what nation He's going to use to be a light to the world, He says, uh, them. And He chooses Israel. Not because they were special. Not because they were bigger and mightier. But He wanted to show His power and His grace and His mercy. Amen. So God's favorite nation is Israel. The Bible says yes. in the book of Exodus, He had respect unto Israel. I want to show you something. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Chronicles for just a moment. Chapter 28. 
First Chronicles chapter 28. Let's just have fun. If I can take my time and enjoy this, we, God might do something. If I try to rush through it and cater to you, we'll mess up. Let's go to let's go to First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles chapter 28. You see, God has his favorites. That's clear in the Bible. How about how about this? Jacob have I loved. Esau. Esau have I hated. So did he love Jacob more than Esau? If you believe the Bible, he did. Yes. How about this? God loveth a cheerful giver. Yes. What's that? What's that say about one that's not cheerful? <laughs> huh? That's right. Listen, I've got a whole sermon I preach on what God likes, and and, and I want to know what He likes. Because if He likes it, I want to do it. Amen. I want to please Him. Here's, I love this little story right here in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Look at this. This is about David. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. I'll just, I'll just read. I'm going to read the first four verses. Look at this. And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, the captains over the thousands, captains over the hundreds, stewards over all the substance, and possession of the king and his sons, officers of the mighty men, with all the mighty men under Jerusalem. So I'll slow down now. And David, then David the king, stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren. And my people, as for me, I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war, and hast shed blood. Watch this. How be it? Which we'd say, but the Lord God of Israel, what's the next two words? Chose me. Chose me. Now watch this. Before all the house of my father. How many brothers did David have? He's the eighth, isn't he? Yeah. And, and, and David, he chose me before them. Now watch what he says here. He chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler. And of the house of Judah, he chose the house of my father. And among the sons of my father, he liked me. Do y'all see that? I underline those words. He liked me to make me king over Israel. God's looking for a king and all of Jesse's sons passed by, but God liked David. I want him to like me. Amen. What's wrong with wanting God to like you? What's the alternative? <laughs> Do you understand what I'm asking you? Now stop and think about this. The word favorite, if you study it in the dictionary, means a person regarded with peculiar favor. One unduly loved, trusted, or enriched with favors, regarded with particular affection or esteem. And then under the word favored in the dictionary, it said, for God to show favor, kindness, or exceptional grace. You know what James chapter 4, verse 6 says? It says that God resisteth the proud, but he giveth more grace to the humble. You want God to show you more grace? Get rid of your stinking pride. Good idea. Amen. Amen. What's, listen, you know what the Bible says about Samuel in the Old Testament, who I think is one of the most, I think one of the most overlooked great men of the Bible. And if you study Samuel, the Bible says he was in favor with God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. You know what the Bible says about Mary? Why God chose Mary to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel said to Mary, Thou hast found favor with God. And then he said this, Thou art Highly favored. I, I preached a sermon in my church one year in the Christmas season. Why God chose Mary. 
She was highly favored. Wouldn't you want to know why? Why was she highly favored? And then the Bible says about David over in the Old Testament, he found favor before God. And it's repeated in Acts chapter 7, God found favor, or David found favor with God. Do you even want the favor of God? Oh, yeah. Are you content just being saved? Do you want God to shower His grace and His favor and His blessings and use you and bless you? I'm just telling you, Psalm 119 says, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. You know what the psalmist said in Psalm 119? I'm begging you for your favor. I want you to favor me. I want you to bless. I want you to use me for your glory. I'm going to talk tonight about these circles and how to get in there where Peter, James, and John were. Wouldn't that be nice to know? Yes. Now, by the way, I don't know that I have the answer. Let's take our Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But I've got some of the answer. I know the Lord has revealed some of this to me. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at these circles tonight. I'm going to try to find one of these uh, markers that, that, that does a pretty good <laughs> job, okay? And, and in these circles, we're going to look at the first circle out here on the outside. And we're going to put the number 500 in there. That one's not going to work. Let's try this one. Hey, there we go. We struck gold. So put 500 out there. And take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what I call the circle of faith. Okay? The circle of faith, and it has to do with salvation. I hope you'll write these things down. I hope you'll take this home and study it sometime. This is the circle of faith. And it has to do with salvation. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Great chapter on the resurrection. He said, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas and of the twelve. And watch this. And then after that, He was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are falling asleep after that he was seeing James, then of all the apostles. So it's talking about the people that saw the resurrection. There's people that are born again, saved, whatever you want to call them. And there was over 500. So I just put this number in there as a general ballpark number. And the first circle that I want you to remember is the circle of salvation, and it has to do with faith. So here's the point. that, that We're going to try to get farther and farther inside this circle because outside of this circle, if I had the markers, and I couldn't do it if I had a good markers, no worry about it. It'd be pitch black. Does everybody understand that? Out here is outer darkness. When you get saved, you step into the light. I don't want to be out here. I mean, it's dark. And the moment you get born again, by faith in Christ, remember, salvation by faith. This is the circle of faith. And and when you step inside that circle, you you have stepped inside the light in that first circle. And here's the problem. Some people are very content just being right here. Isn't that sad? As a matter of fact, I'm going to say something I hope it don't scare anybody. Just looking at the congregation, realizing most of you are part of this church, I suspect most of you are saved, but I'm going to say some things tonight you need to hear. Listen to me. The closer you get to the inside of this circle, the brighter it gets and the warmer it feels. Yeah. Have you ever been there? Yes. Have, you ever, have you ever had intimacy with the Lord? Wow. Have you ever been close where you didn't want it to end? Isn't it sad we can't stay there? Now, I'm talking about, some people call it the warm fuzzies. I like the warm fuzzies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, I'm not basing my salvation on it. Listen, salvation isn't based on feeling. Yeah. 
But it sure feels good to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. You understand what I just said? I get worried about some people that so are so adamantly opposed to feelings and emotions that they don't want to have any. See, I don't base my salvation on my feelings or my emotions, but it ought to feel good. I love that song Gary Giddy wrote. Do you know how it feels? Yes. I'm glad to be saved. Aren't you glad to be saved tonight? You see, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that God has delivered us from the power of darkness. We're not out here in the darkness. Once you get saved, you stepped into the light. But how did you get in there? Well, the Bible says by faith in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through what? Faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore being justified by faith. We know that it is by faith, but the problem is in the book of Corinthians, especially that carnal church, Corinth, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the See, I'm going to say some things. And I, and I know Brother Bob preaches straight as an arrow. I know that. Yeah. But listen to me. I have met too many people in Baptist churches that are basing their salvation on a prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're not saved. Amen. Praying a prayer does not save you. That's right. Trusting Jesus Christ saves you. So when we talk about that you've got to get saved by faith, we need you to understand that word faith is defined in the Gospel of John because in the Gospel of John, John said in chapter 20, the whole purpose of that one book called John is so that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you might be saved. He wants you to know that you're saved. But the Bible says in the book of James that even the devils believe. The devils believe in God. So when the Bible says if you believe, then you're saved, what does that mean? Well, Ephesians 1.13 defines the word believe. It means to trust. Salvation is not you trusting in a prayer. It's not you confessing all your sins. It boggles my mind how many Baptist preachers I hear say, now if you want to get saved, you've got to confess all your sins. Well, I'm out of luck. <laughs> I don't even remember half of mine. That's right. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you've got to confess your sins to get saved. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Salvation is me with my heart trusting Jesus Christ, what He did at Calvary, and letting Him be my Savior. I'm not trusting me. I'm not trusting my religion. I'm not trusting my church. I'm not trusting my prayer. I'm trusting Him. That's what it means when it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now you might say, Well, why are you emphasizing this? Because Paul said, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. And then he said this over there in 2 Corinthians 5 17. He said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ. If you'll study the book of Corinthians, he uses the word if a lot. And it's the most carnal church in the Bible. And so Paul says, If any man be in Christ. Listen. All, all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let me, let me say this to you. When, you. when you don't react properly to spiritual things, it's time to check up. Right. How many of you have had times in your life where you were in a church service, or you were somewhere, and God was moving, people were excited, you could tell everybody was happy, you could tell the warm fuzzies was present, and people are going to the altar and people are crying and you felt absolutely nothing. How many people have been there? I have. I hate that feeling. Yes, 
I've been in services where people were crying, people raising their hands, people shouting, people going to the altar, and I'm numb as a two-by-four. You know what I do when, that, when I go through that? I go to the altar. And I say, God, what is wrong with me? When you get cold and numb, you better find out what's wrong. Maybe you are saved, but if you are, something's wrong. Sure. You understand what I'm saying? Listen, when you, when you go to church and the Bible doesn't move you in the hymns, it is well with my soul. And those songs don't move you. And, and the preaching doesn't move you. But you sit down and watch some little house on the prairie cry like a baby. Something's wrong. What's real to you? Y'all understand, don't you? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm telling you, we all go through it. But, but when, when, when you're not moved and stirred by the things that ought to move and stir you, there's something wrong. When I go knocking on doors, I don't know about here, but, well, I think somebody said it earlier. In Smith County, everybody's saved. Oh, yeah. You can knock on the door. They'll come to the door with a cigarette in one hand, a Budweiser in the other hand, an HBO dirty movie on the television, and say, sir, I'm just out going around finding out who's saved. You ever been saved? Oh, yeah, I'm saved. There's something wrong with that. Now, I'm not saying he's not saved, but there's something wrong with that. When lost people don't even understand it and saved people don't understand it, we need to get back to making it abundantly clear that salvation is in a person, not in a prayer. Salvation is in faith in Jesus Christ. Let me say this. Maybe it'll help you. When everything, when everything's going good at the church and God's blessing and Song service is good and the preaching is good and you're not stirred for weeks on end. Yeah. You need to get you need to go along with God. Yeah. Yes. You need to find out what's wrong. You know what bothers me in my life? What bothers me is what bothers me. And I'll tell you something that bothers me worse. It's what don't bother me. Did anybody get what I just said? Yes. In other words, what bothers me might be a scratch on my pickup truck. But what don't bother me is my neighbor going to hell. Amen. Yeah. Well, I understand. That's a good point. Yeah. There's something wrong when I'm not bothered by the fact that there's a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, yeah. a neighbor that I know is not saved, and I haven't even prayed for them in months. Yes. Uh, yeah. Let me just ask you, when's the last time a tear flowed down your face over a lost sinner? Right. This is a missions conference, isn't it? See, I think all of us ought to be in the altar right now. I think I ought to give an invitation. Everybody ought to get in the altar and say, God, until we can have a heart for souls, we just need you to do something in our heart. God, something's wrong with us. We're cold. In the, in the, in the last days, the love of many shall wax cold. You'll be past feeling, lukewarm. Isn't that what the Bible says? That's what it says. So what I'm saying to you is if you're truly saved, shouldn't you want to tell other people? Shouldn't you care about their soul? Shouldn't you care where they're going? Shouldn't you care about your lost relatives? Shouldn't you care about... i got a neighbor that lives beside me. I've witnessed to him. He tells me he's saved. He ain't been to church in 25, 30 years. We've lived right beside him. Don't ever go to church. Ever. Never. He says he's saved. Drives a Catholic, claims to be saved. Maybe she is. Maybe he is. But I don't see any fruit. And by the fruit you shall know them. So what do I do? Well, don't be there saved. We almost take consolation in that so we don't have to do anything else. Anybody done that? Sure. I yes, have. sir. Just think that I've tried one time and now it's off my shoulders. Yeah. 
So I'm just telling you, you get in this circle, things change. People say, well, it sounds like to me that, that you're adding. Uh, I, th I thought you come to Christ just as you are, and it sounds like you're adding requirements for salvation. No, 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 no. Please get this. If a fellow exercises faith in Jesus Christ, there's going to be change. Right. The change doesn't bring salvation. Salvation brings the change. That's right. That's right. Yeah. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have come new. These people say, well, nothing much changed in my life. I'm sorry. They did too. You was on your way to hell. Now you're on your way to heaven. Yeah. Absolutely. You were a child of the devil. Now you're a child of God. Yes, sir. I'd call that a pretty good change. Yeah. So maybe I've overemphasized it, but I want to get this first circle knocked down. I want it locked in. I want you to get a hold of this. The way you get in this first circle is by faith. It has to do with salvation. Now, please take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at the second circle, which is the circle of fruitfulness. You know why God saved you? So you can bear fruit. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 7. It has to do with service. Now that you're saved, you're supposed to serve the Lord. That's what we talked about last night, isn't it? Once you get saved, you're supposed to serve the Lord. This has to do with service. So the Bible says in Luke chapter 10, look at verse 1, After these things, the Lord appointed other, what? Seventy. Right, so we're going to put seventy in that circle. We've got seven in this circle. First one has to do with faith. This one has to do with fruitfulness. All right, so put seventy in that circle. And the Bible says here in verse 1 that he, that he appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where he himself would go. So he takes 70, sends them out in groups of two. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. And the 70 returned again with what? Joy. Say, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I like that verse. Yeah. You know that you've got a reason to rejoice tonight. Why? You're saved. Amen. And if you're saved, you ought to be able to rejoice. What the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, whatsoever you do heartily, whatsoever you do for the Lord, do it heartily as unto the Lord. What does it mean, whatsoever? Turn over there. Let me show you this. Go to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to show you this. This, this, this slaps us independent Baptist right in the face. Oh, we're a mess. Is it okay for me to say that? Yes, sir. Okay, I won't say we. You're a mess! <laughs> Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 23. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And, next word, 323, what is it? Whatsoever. I looked that up in the Greek. You know what it means? Whatever. Whatsoever you do. Washing dishes. Mowing the yard. Cleaning the pews. Knocking on a door. Standing on a street corner with a sandwich sign. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Look at it as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Look at verse 17 in the same chapter. Whatsoever you do in word or do, deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So this second circle is not just about service, it's about joy in service. 
It's talking about serving the Lord with joy. We had a girl, young lady. Well, she had several kids. She was our janitor for a while. She cleaned our church, including the toilets, including the men's restroom. Anybody like that job? And it just so happened that across the hall from the men's restroom was my study. And I hear her in there cleaning toilets and singing hymns. Now that is a blessing. Yeah. Some of you can't even eat and rejoice. <laughs> you can't even do something you enjoy with joy. I'm telling you that girl, you, you know what makes somebody, have you, has anybody here ever been ill? I'm, I'm not talking about sick, just ill. <laughs> just ill-tempered. You ever been ill-tempered? You ever been just sort of teed off? Yes. You ever just been in a bad mood? Yes. Any of you ladies ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? How about your husbands? He ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Yes. You know what makes people like that mad? Somebody's happy. Oh, yes, sir. When I'm ill, don't you come around me humming. <laughs> when I'm upset, don't you come around me singing it as well with my soul. Don't, don't you know something's wrong with me? Shut up. Quit being happy. Is that not the way we are? Yes, I'm telling you, one of the reasons we never get past this circle right here is we act like going to church is a burden. We act like reading the Bible is a pain and an agonizing thing. Oh, that we've got to go somewhere and pray and put down the computer and put down the iPhone, put down the laptop. I'm going to go pray. Huh? I'm talking about joy in service. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Bible says they could not resist Stephen's spirit. The Bible says Daniel had an excellent spirit. Isn't that what it says? What about yours? What about us independent King James? Did you know Brother David Armstead? Yes. If I've ever been around a man filled with joy, yes. that guy just was joyful. He would just irritate you with his joy. We had a lady one time supposed to be working in the nursery one Sunday morning. And uh, right after Sunday school was getting ready to start the song service. And I saw her coming in the back door and she looked like she was ready to fight. Can I give you folks a suggestion at Victory Baptist Church? Right before your pastor's getting ready to preach, don't go unload on him. <laughs> don't go tell him that somebody just said he was a heretic. Don't go tell him that you just heard his name mentioned on the radio and they were saying bad. Don't go tell him that there's somebody real mad. Just let him preach and then talk to him after church. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Yes. But I saw her coming. And you know, sometimes you can tell by somebody's walk, what's coming ain't going to be pleasant. Yeah, that's true. And boy, she comes trouncing down that hallway and, and she walked up to me and she said, Brother Ron, I've been working in the nursery. Church Some lady brought a baby into the church nursery. The baby had pink eye. Now everybody in the church is going to get the pink eye. And boy, she was fit to be whatever the word is. But I had seen it coming. I had time to prepare, Brother Bob. So my wheels are turning while I see her coming. Okay, I'm going to go handle this. I just waited until she got to it. I said, ma'am, 
I just want you to know something right now. I'd rather everybody in this church get the pink eyes, whatever it is you've got. <laughs> <laughs> you say, why'd you say that? I meant it. <laughs> Your attitude is contagious. Good point. There's no telling how many days this woman right here would have had a much better day if I hadn't come in in the afternoon just full of misery. <laughs> Problems. I'm going to tell you what I teach pastors in pastor school. Don't take all of your complaints about the church home to the family. You're going to make them hate the church. Yeah. And we get frustrated. You know what? Misery loves company. <laughs> And many of us have a sour attitude. Oh, yeah. And I'm not talking about at church. I'm talking about, I'm talking about at Hardy's when they get your order wrong. <laughs> I said no cheese. Did you not hear me? <laughs> Sir, I'll take it back. Yeah, but when you get back with my hamburger, now my fries are going to be cold. I'm looking at people that know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there, haven't you? <laughs> And we complain. Oh, we always get the new cashier when we go to Walmart. Don't we? They're training the one, and you just happen to get in that line. And you've learned how to do it yourself and go through that self-checkout thing, but it always goes haywire when I go through it. Huh? And the world is watching us. And, and we'll complain about the meal, fuss about it, and, and then, here, here's a gospel track. Oh, they really want your track. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. You see, I tell people all the time now, the world's not interested in your position. They're more interested in your disposition. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. And one of the reasons we're not going to go any further, listen, one of the reasons we're not fruitful, nobody wants what we got. Yeah, amen. If it ain't working for us, why don't it work for them? We're walking around with a bad attitude and a frown on our face. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice evermore. What are we doing? Whining, complaining, and murmuring about everything in life. We're a mess. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to tell you the honest truth tonight. One of our biggest problems as Bible believers is our spirit, joy, in service. What's happened to us? Job, Job, would you say Job went through it? I'm going to say something tonight. Brother Bob can straighten me out when he wants to. I don't mind. I'm going to tell you something. I read these commentaries about Job. They say Job was self-righteous and, and Job thought too highly of himself. I'm going to tell you something. I read the book of Job and if I went through what he went through, I guarantee you I'd acted a lot worse. Amen. And God Amen. said he was a perfect man and eschewed evil and an upright yes. man. I believe God went to his rescue at the end of the book. He said, hey, I'll get Job to pray for you, but I'm not going to listen to your prayers. And those three friends that were miserable comforters, he did pray for them. How about, how about you? Are you praying for the people that wronged you? You see, I preach a message in our church about our attitude. Three things has happened to a lot of people because I've, I've met them. First, they got hurt. 1979, I started knocking on doors in Spencer, Tennessee. Yes, sir. I'm the new pastor down here at Welsland Baptist Church. I ain't going down there. 29 years ago, I went to that church and some lady, and they'll tell you about some bad experience they had in church. So they're never going back. 
I don't guess they've ever had a bad experience at Walmart. Because <laughs> they keep going back. Yeah. Right? right? But people get hurt. And by the way, sometimes we hurt them. I've had in, in 45 years of preaching, 32 at the same church, there's times I've had to stand up in front of my pulpit, in my pulpit, look at my church and say, I'm sorry. I handled that wrong. I've had to go to individual men in my church and say, Brother, I owe you an apology. Yes. I embarrassed you because of my silly, uh, foolish jesting. Or what I said was wrong, and I owe you an apology. Because we hurt people. Now, sometimes we're at fault, but when you get hurt, be careful. Because the next thing that happens is you get hard. Yes. Yeah. Lady stood up in our pulpit one time. I let ladies give testimonies in our church. She stood up in our pulpit, one of our best friends, and she said, I'm not going to get close to anybody else. It's too painful. Because you get close to people, and one of them will hurt you, and what happens is you'll soak on that until you get hard. The Bible says in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus looked around about on them and was angered because of the hardness of their heart. You see, they got hurt, and then they got hard, and then it turns to hatred. Yes. You've been hurt? Obviously. Every one of you have been hurt. Oh, yeah. Now, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to tell you something tonight. Boy, if I don't even preach the rest of this, I'll preach it tomorrow night, but I'm going to say this. Listen to me. If you're bitter or sour, it ain't nobody's fault but yours. Bitterness is a sin. What happens to us is we get hurt, we get wronged, we get violated, we get stomped on, kicked on, spit on, and and then we feel justified. And the person that wronged us, we'll be out in the community and we'll see them having a good time and it'll just make us mad. Because they're the ones that ought to be miserable. But you know what? They're the ones that's wrong, and they got more joy than you. Yeah. See, what you're doing is you allow somebody else to control your joy. Mm-hmm. And right. it ain't supposed to work that way. Mm-hmm. If Job could say, the Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. What's our complaint? Yeah. Some of you got it a lot worse than me. In some ways, I've got it worse than you. You don't know my battles, and I don't know yours. And I know it should not affect my joy in the Lord. Amen. It is joy in the Lord, isn't it? Yeah. Everybody okay? Yeah. It's the reason we don't go much further, because we're not very fruitful, because you can pass out tracts, and you can preach, and you can knock on doors, but with your attitude, nobody's interested. Amen? Amen. Let's go to that third circle. There's 70 in that circle of fruitfulness. How about taking your Bible to... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. The Bible says, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the what? Fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I put the number 12 there because Jesus chose to fellowship with those 12. And this is the circle of fellowship. It has to do with sanctification. Why did God save you? To restore fellowship. See, you thought he saved you to get you out of hell. That's not why he saved you. That's just a friend's benefit. 
Stop and think about this. Why did God put Adam in that garden? And why did God show up in the cool of the day and say, let's take a walk, Adam? God is love. He wanted someone to love. God wanted to fellowship with man. Didn't he? It's God's idea. And God chose to make a man in order to fellowship with him. Take your Bible and turn to 1 John. Turn to 1 John. But when Adam sinned, the fellowship was broken. So we go to 1 John chapter 1. I'm, I'm preaching right now through 1 John. I've been battling it for years because it's a pretty difficult book in some ways. And I've been sort of wanting to not preach through it. But now I'm going verse by verse through the book of 1 John. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship. Look at this. John says, Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and watch sitcoms. What about it? Listen to dirty music. You know, what, you know what John says? He says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You cannot walk in darkness in fellowship with God. That is clearly what the Bible teaches. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Hey, go over to chapter 2. I'll show you something I've been preaching in my church over the last few days because I'm preaching about this thing of fellowship. And the Bible says in verse 10, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness. Let me tell you something I'm learning in 1 John. If you're not right with your brother or sister in Christ, you are not right with God. You cannot have a problem with a family member and be right with the Father. It is an impossibility according to, according to John who we're going to see in just a few minutes. Amen. Wow. There's no way you can walk in darkness and fellowship with God. What, what separated God from Adam? Sin. You cannot fellowship, listen, you cannot fellowship with God if you don't take sin seriously. This is, this is something, and I, I sort of get frustrated with preachers because they always say, well, we're going to get back to preaching on repentance. And when they say that, they usually mean trying to get lost people to repent. No, what we need to do is get saved people to repent. Yes. When I was lost, I didn't know what repentance meant, but I did it. I just didn't always do it. I trusted Christ. I quit trusting the world, quit trusting myself, quit trusting religion, quit trusting the church. I changed my mind and got saved. Repent means change your mind. Amen. God repented in the Old Testament more than anybody else. Think about that. Oh, yeah. What I'm trying to get you to understand tonight is if you want to move closer to this inner circle, if you want God to favor you, bless you, shower His love upon you, use you for His glory, let Victory Baptist Church make a difference in Cumberland County and beyond into Tennessee and into all the world and do what God called you to do, then you're going to have to fellowship with God and you're going to have to take your sin seriously because sin breaks the fellowship. Your relationship is locked in, but not fellowship. I was reading, preaching through the book of Ruth one time and God showed me one of the most blessed truths I've ever seen in my life. I'm thinking about Mary and Martha and Martha's in the kitchen and Martha's sweating and Martha's frustrated. But she's working for the Lord. <laughs> Mary is just sitting at His feet happy as a lark. And I'm studying the book of Ruth 
And I'm reading where Ruth went to work in the field of Boaz. Who's a, Boaz is a picture of Jesus. Ruth's a type of the church. That's true. And she's out there laboring in the field and he's letting her gather in the corners. And she's a stranger from Moab. And he's letting her gather. And as she's working in the field, she takes on some barley. And she gives it to Naomi. But a chapter later, she's sitting at the feet of Boaz. And he gives her some barley to take home. And it's more than she got in the field. You can get more by waiting at his feet than working in his field. And if you'll spend more time at his feet, you'll be more productive in his field. Good point. Wished every missionary and preacher would get a hold of that. You're not going to be very productive if you don't spend time at his feet. And you can't spend time at his feet if you're engaged in sin. You know what we've done? We've tacked on, I hate it, it is vain repetition. You can, you can get mad at me if you want to tonight. I'm not trying to beat you up. But we'll pray. Oh God, please uh, bless the food. And Lord, please bless the service. Bless the offering. Bless the singing. Bless Brother Bob as he preaches. Lord, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for a beautiful day. And we sure do appreciate you. Please forgive us of all our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> like that little, forgive us of all our sins, is going to cover the whole thing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pitiful, really pitiful prayer. Amen. David committed sin with Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah. And you read about that repentant prayer in Psalm 51. Do you read what David's doing in Psalm 51? Read it sometimes. It's, oh God, God be merciful unto me and wash me with hyssop, oh God. God cleanse me on the inside. God renew a right spirit, oh Lord, oh God, oh Lord. Over and over and over again. He's repenting. In 2 Corinthians 17. What vehement desire to get right. What vengeful spirit we have to get, get vengeance on the sin. It's an agonizing, it's crucial. It's, it's you hating sin as much as God hates it. You see, it's not how much, it's really not how much praying is in your heart. It's how much heart is in your praying. That's a good point. Amen. And we pray from here. Yes. Saying what we know we're supposed to say. Y'all get this? I'm telling you, if you want to fellowship with God, you might get serious about your sin. If I want to fellowship with God, I'm going to have to get serious about my sin. Let's quickly go. Well, I'm going to save some time here. This next circle, I put three in there. Three. Who's the three? We read about them earlier. Who are those three? Peter, James, and John. Okay? And this is the circle of favoritism. I mean, that's what I called it at the beginning, and I did that on purpose. I just call this the circle of favoritism. And it really has to do... I've changed this over the years. I don't know what to put here, but this one works very well. Selflessness. Selflessness. We'll talk about that last one in just a minute. I'm going to be real quick so I can get to that last one, and we'll wrap this up. You see, he chose Peter, James, and John to go in with Jairus' daughter. Peter, James, and John to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, James, and John to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They are that inner circle. Everybody talks about that inner circle. And I ask myself, and I beg God, Lord, why those three? And I don't know that I'm right, but I'm on to something. He knew he could trust them with information. And that they would use it to benefit others. Who wrote those last few books in your Bible? Peter, James. 
job. And because of what God did in them, many others were blessed. Let me ask you something. What God's given you over the years, are you just soaking it up like a sponge? Or are you allowing it to be used to be a benefit to others? You see the point? If you want God to bless you, the blessings are not for your benefit, they're for the benefit of others. When I first got called to preach, I got saved and called to preach at the same time, as far as I'm concerned, I was 18 years old, and I was pastoring a church when I was 19, didn't know anything about it. And the guy that led me to the Lord was sort of a, he was a red-headed, fireball preacher. I mean, he was just full of life. Doctrinally unsound, he was a mess, but he had life. <laughs> Boy, when he'd preach, I just almost idolized him. I couldn't. I, I wanted to preach. God put it in me. I believe when God, the Bible says God will give you the desires of your heart, it doesn't mean He'll give you what you want. It means He'll give you some wants. That's correct. And He gave me a desire to preach. But you know what part of that was? I wanted to be the one up there in the pulpit pointing my finger. And you know what I was doing a lot of times in those early years? I was preaching for my benefit. Brother Bob used the word leader earlier. That can be a, that can be a principal. That can be a coach, that can be a school teacher, that can be a mom or a dad, it can certainly be a pastor or a missionary. And listen, God didn't put us in the pulpit for our benefit. And if my being in the pulpit doesn't benefit you, I need to get out of the pulpit. It's not about us. And when God blesses you and gives you some light, shows you some love, invests in you, He invests in you so you'll go invest in others. That's missions 101. Yes. It's not, we, we, are not, we are so good at talking about how good it is to go to church and how good it is to see the Bible. And God showed me something today in the Word of God. And God used Brother Bible. Man, that sermon was so good. I loved it so much. Okay, what have you done with it? What have you done with what God's shown you and taught you and blessed you with? I could spend a lot of time here. Please turn to John 13. We'll try to wrap this up. Well, listen, I'll wrap up presents at Christmas and it takes me a long time to wrap Amen, up. Amen, bro. Look at John 13. Oh my. This last circle. There's only one in this circle. Somebody tell me who it is. That's John. That's John the Beloved. There's no question about John was closer than anybody else. This is what I call the circle of fullness. The circle of fullness. It has to do with seclusion. I could easily say it has to do with solitude. And in a few minutes, we're going to have an invitation. We'll ask someone to just play the piano. And maybe you need to ask the Lord how you can get closer to that inner circle. Maybe you can say, God, there's something wrong with me. I don't want any closer. Can I tell you all something? I've met a lot of people who claim to be saved just hanging around right here. They just want to stay as close to that old life and that darkness as they can. That is not somebody that appreciates the Lord. And so in just a few minutes, I'll get you an opportunity. But turn to John 13, and I'll show you this, and we'll wrap it up quickly. See, I think we as independent Baptists have a habit of trying to help people see how far away from God they are. <laughs> John wants to show you how close you can get. I'd love to be more like John. Oh. And the Bible says in chapter 13, verse 21, 13, chapter 13, verse 21, look at this. 
When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked. Look at this. The disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Who is that? That's John. That's John leaning on his bosom. Watch what happens in verse 24. Simon Peter therefore beckoned him, as he beckoned to John, that he, John, should ask Jesus who it should be of whom he spake. And then he said, lying on Jesus, that he then lying on Jesus' bread, that's John, saith unto him. So John looks at the Lord and said, who is it? But if you read Matthew 26, you know what the other 11 said? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? John said, which one of them dirty scoundrels? Because <laughs> it sure ain't me. Y'all see that? Oh, yeah. John had no doubts it wasn't him. And by the way, Peter needed some information, but Peter didn't go to Jesus and ask. He said, John, he'll tell you. That's right. He won't tell me. John just got you. I'm, I'm, I'm cutting this short tonight. John just told you that Jesus was troubled in spirit. He's the only gospel writer that tells you that. He's laying on his bosom. I bet he felt a tremor. I bet he could sense that Jesus was troubled. And you? Wouldn't you like to be close enough to know when you're doing something that bothers him? Wouldn't you like to be close enough to know that you're doing something that blesses him? Remember when they went fishing after the resurrection and Jesus is on the shore cooking breakfast? And Jesus starts coming close to the shore and everyone was going, who's that? Who's that? John said, it's the Lord. John knew who it was. He knows his voice. My sheep know my voice. You ever been in a service wondering, is this God or the devil? <laughs> yeah. I'd like to know. I'd like to be so close that I can know. He's on the cross. He doesn't say, Peter, take care of mama. He doesn't say, James, take care of mama. John, she's your mama now. Why, John? Why, John? I asked the Lord to show me something. There's so much more I could say tonight. You ever wonder why there's so many men named John? <laughs> like John Wesley? Think of all the great Johns. John Christison? Christison? Amen. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. And, I, and I got to studying this, and I went home, and I looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. Those are called the three synoptic gospels. See, the Bible says five times that John, it doesn't say that John is the disciple that loved Jesus. It said it's the disciple that Jesus loved. That's right. That's mind-boggling. And so I went home, I started asking God to give me some insight to this, and I started looking at John a little bit closer than I ever had before. Five times he's the disciple who Jesus loved. And, 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 and I got to studying this thing, and, and, I, and I studied Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the word love. In those three Gospels, 35 times. In John alone, 57. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that word love, 35 times. Those little old bitty books over at the end of your Bible, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 52 times. You know what I believe about John? I believe he tried to outlove Jesus. I believe Jesus loved him, and he returned that love. 
He said, why do you call it the circle of seclusion and solitude? Because most of us are never going to love like John did because we've got too many other loves. Yes. Amen. And you'll never have the love for God that you need, the love for Jesus. You'll never have that intimacy. You'll never be in that inner circle if you don't let some of those other loves go. You know what God told Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 13? He said, I'll let those idols come into your life. I'll let that, those gods come into your life to prove whether or not you love me. He told Israel, I'm going to let some other important things into your life, some things that you'll love. I'm going to let them come into your life to see if you really love me. Isn't it amazing the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things? Well, we love a lot of things. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, get mad at me if you want to, if we don't learn how to let loose of this technology, sports, Amen. sports is a, it's a God in this country. Uh, pickup trucks, four-wheelers, none of those things are necessarily wrong. Boy, we sure do love them. Amen. And then we've got people that we need to let go of. I'm sorry, but you can't be everybody's buddy and spend time with Jesus. Yeah. What gripes me about myself Sometimes I don't think I really want to get any closer. Yeah. I think I'm pretty content just getting out of the darkness. Mm-hmm. And that is a crying shame. Yeah. Amen. Amen. God spoke to your heart tonight. You come. Let's all stand. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Brother, if you'd come to the piano, please. Just play something that's on your heart. Dear Father.